I love a good mystery, and so does everyone else. In fact, everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. I know that our listeners will absolutely love this game because you are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder, and you're becoming a detective. You're looking for clues, and each scene will lead you to a new thrilling storyline. This is a great way to engage your observation skills to uncover key pieces of information that lead you on to many chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. Right now, I'm in the process of interviewing family members, and this is bringing me back, just so you know, to my days in law enforcement, and I'm having such a blast with it because it is so much more lighthearted, but it also has the mystery of where will this take me? You can even chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. Megan, I think we should join a detective club together. We've got this. (laughs) Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast contains sensitive topics and discussions. Listener discretion is advised. After a young mother suddenly leaves her children on the Crow Indian Reservation in Montana, a strange phone call to her family leaves them questioning her fate. This is the Kimberly Iron story. Megan, I know we just said this in our last recording, but it is so good to be back and recording. I missed you very much while I was in Japan and you were in Argentina. We had great trips, but I had separation anxiety for sure, just so you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. It's so great to be back. And I didn't tell you I'm working on a case out of Japan because while I was there, I started to do some research. That is so interesting. Yeah. During that episode, I'll be able to share some of my travel experiences as well. Your travel experiences, though, just to point out, were absolutely amazing if I just based it on your photos, which, by the way, 80% of Amy's photos consisted, actually, I said like 60% were food, 20% with her posing with dogs, and the rest were of the sights she saw, which looked absolutely incredible. You forgot about my pictures of like all the cute caricatures that they have on all their signs. Yes, she likes characters and you like all that, that like rinky dinky. What I don't even know what you call it. So like the cute. Tchotch- tchotchkes. Tchotchkes. Like yes. uh, Amy loves yeah. that crap. I can't stand it. So she did send pictures <laughs> of that too. I'm like, oh God. I can only imagine what you bought there, but okay. Yeah. I bought a lot of fun stuff for myself right. and others. <laughs> and I have a gift for you. I haven't seen you yet. Oh, really? You didn't buy me anything? At nope. <laughs> no. <I feel laughs> terrible about it. <laughs> No, it's nothing. It's something very teeny. Oh, okay. Well, thank you. All right. Well, this episode, Megan, I, for the first time, had one of my students, Alyssa White, help. And Alyssa is excellent. 
She was one of the best students in my intro class. And now she's doing a little work with me and she's been amazing. That's great. So I'd like to give a big, big shout out and thank you to Alyssa White for her help with today's episode. Awesome. Our supporters may recall an exclusive Patreon episode that we released on Ashley Loring Heavy Runner. Do you recall that? That was, I believe, episode number 18. And the issue that we discussed in that episode, I recall you and I had a conversation about how we need to cover a case like this on our main feed because we discussed and today we'll be discussing the very important and often ignored issue surrounding missing and murdered indigenous women. Now, before we talk about the issues and theories around missing and murdered indigenous women, let's meet Kimberly. Kimberly Michelle Bearclaw Iron was raised on the Crow Indian Reservation. Now, this reservation was established in 1868 and it's located in parts of Bighorn, Yellowstone and Treasure Counties in southern Montana. Now, this reservation is the largest in Montana with over 11,000 members, and the majority of them reside on the reservation and speak their native language. Mm. Kimberly was very close with her grandmother, Marilyn, and her father, Curtis, who would become her biggest advocate. Unfortunately, we know very little about Kimberly's background and her life growing up, but we can speculate a bit given what we know about the reservation itself. The reservation is a very tight-knit community. But unfortunately, poverty is a big issue. The poverty rate in the reservation was at just 31%, which is higher than the national average. So that 31% is a statistic from 2015, and that's in comparison to 13.5% poverty rate for the national average in the U.S. So just so you could see the stark disparity between the two. This intense poverty, coupled with the fact that reservations law enforcement They don't really have the financial resources that other jurisdictions do. And this is an area we will discuss at length in our discussion. Okay, But essentially, this means that there are very little resources to investigate when members go missing or when mysterious murders occur. And as some will remember that in the Ashley Loring Heavy Runner case, we explained how reservations have their own police forces. And unfortunately, they are drastically underfunded. Of course, due to that, you see very high crime rates on many reservations and a very low success rate on finding missing persons. Now, most people who live on the Crow Indian Reservation say that they know of at least one person in their life who had disappeared or who had been murdered. Kimberly's family was no exception to this statistic as her great uncle, her uncle, and her cousin were all murdered in three separate events. And all three of the murders are still unsolved to this day. Oh my gosh, really? Now, despite these immense hardships, Kimberly was living a good life by all accounts. She had three children whom she adored and were her whole world, according to those who knew her. But to many people's surprise, in early September of 2022, Kimberly placed her three children with her grandmother, Marilyn, and left the reservation. Now, nobody has any idea where she was going or who she was with. And in fact, no one heard from her until several days later on September 22nd, when she placed a mysterious phone call to her father, Curtis. Now, I just want to point out here that there are some conflicting reports. Some reports say that she was last seen on September 22nd. Other reports say that that's when she called her father. But either way, she left her home within a couple of days, either on the 22nd or a few days prior to September 22nd. Now, this phone call that Curtis got came from an unknown number, and it was from an out-of-state location. 
When he answered the phone, to his surprise, it was Kimberly. And he was very happy to hear from her because everyone was fearing the worst. So he was happy to just hear her voice. Sorry, I know, I think you said this already, but how long had she been gone for at this point? A couple of days. Okay. So while he was happy to hear Kimberly's voice, she sounded very distressed. Kimberly told her father that she was in Las Vegas, Nevada, and her boyfriend had just gotten arrested. She then stated that she wanted to come home, but she did not have any money to do so. And as any father would, he started asking her more questions like, why are you in Las Vegas and how can I send you money? Unfortunately, the call got disconnected before Kimberly could answer any of his questions. Mm. Amy, who is this boyfriend? Well, that's the concerning part because nobody knows really anything about Kimberly's boyfriend, who he is or why she was with him in Las Vegas, why he was arrested or even how long the two were dating for. In fact, his identity has yet to be stated in any coverage of this case. So it's unclear if her family even knew who this boyfriend was either. Okay, so it's possible that this boyfriend didn't even exist is what you're saying as well. It's possible. And whether or not they knew who she was dating, regardless, it was very out of character for her to just leave her children for so long. Of course. And not tell anyone where she was going. Of course. So this call really solidified for Curtis and Marilyn that Kimberly hadn't just gone off to maybe get a little time for herself she was in some sort of trouble. So the family rallied together and they started looking for answers. Marilyn asked younger members of the family to reach out to her on her social media, where she was usually very active. Okay. The problem was, Megan, that when they messaged her or DM'd, as the young kids would say, her replies were always very short and she would never give any details about where she was or what she was doing. Okay. Her family actually stated that these responses were not at all the way Kimberly usually answered texts and other messages, leaving them all to wonder was somebody answering for Kimberly. If so, if they're concerned, they can't go to the police. They have their own, I assume, their own tribal police on the reservation. Is that correct? We will get into all of the details about law enforcement in just a moment. So, they, But I'm saying they didn't contact anyone else to start helping with this. They're Not just... at this, no. Okay. At this point, they were just maybe thinking she left on her own accord to let's reach out to her, see what's going on. But now that they had the strange phone call and these messages don't sound like her, now they're starting to get a little more worried. Because on Facebook, Kimberly's name was on a couple of accounts and it's unclear which of these was actually her. So some sources say there were as many as four accounts in her name. So it's clear that some of them were phony accounts. But regardless, there was about two of them that were being used after she disappeared. Okay. Now, one of these accounts would just repost old posts. You know how on Facebook you could just reshare things or repost? Yes. On that account, that's where Kimberly, supposedly Kimberly, would give her family short answers. Okay. And then the other account was just kind of completely inactive. Now, this was all very suspicious because if Kimberly was okay, then why wouldn't she answer her family's messages with more detail? Right. And why did she have these two active accounts, but one was not active? And then there's these other kind of phony accounts that are around her name as well. Right. A few more days would go by and Curtis would not hear from his daughter again until October 6th. Now, this time the call came from a different area code and it was a different phone number than the first phone number that came through. On this call, Kimberly stated that she was in Oxnard, California, which is a seaside city west of L.A., and that she was then traveling to Long Beach, which I believe is about two hours south of there. Her father, of course, pressed for more details. Why are you there? Who are you with? Are you okay? Yeah. But the call was disconnected yet again. 
Did he try to call the number back? Yeah, good question. And unfortunately, nobody would pick up. And eventually, the phone number was no longer in service. So I would guess this was a burner phone of some sort. I was just going to say they're probably burner phones. Okay, gotcha. The concerning thing is that on both of these phone calls, Curtis stated that it sounded like she was talking to him on speakerphone. And she seemed to always be surrounded by many other people as if she was in a crowded place, perhaps, or perhaps people were listening to her phone calls. And that worried him that she couldn't actually say what was going on. Right. In an interview with Dateline NBC, Curtis said that he did not know why his daughter would be in California in the first place. She didn't have any known connections there. And more importantly, he said that his daughter would never leave her children this suddenly and this mysteriously. In the interview, Curtis also said she would tell me that she was okay, but she didn't sound okay to me. She just didn't sound like herself. Now, this call was traced by police and it was traced to the Los Angeles area, which is in line with where Kimberly said she was calling from. And this would become Kimberly's last known location. And unfortunately, there would be no more communications. Her father did not receive any more calls and her family received no more online messages from Kimberly or the person pretending to be Kimberly. And Curtis truly believed that his daughter was in trouble. More specifically, he believes that his daughter is a victim of sex trafficking. Did they figure that? I mean, did they figure that early on or that just kind of, that was a revelation later? It's speculation, but he says this is the fact that she left so quickly and that the communication did not sound like her. He believes that she is being held against her will. Okay. And as we will discuss, sex trafficking is a big problem in Los Angeles and surrounding areas. So he has reason to be concerned. Yes. You know, he thinks that the reason he couldn't get details out of her is because simply there were people that were threatening her, you know, standing right next to her and pretty much said, don't say anything or we'll hurt you or someone that was clearly listening to everything she was saying on the phone to her father. Kimberly's family finally reported her missing to the Bighorn County Sheriff's Office and they opened a missing persons case. Kimberly's children are currently in the custody of her grandmother and they ask about their mother every single day and they have done so every day since she left. And they wonder, you know, when their mother is going to come home. Marilyn, in an interview with Dateline, stated, quote, The life we live on this reservation, we never get justice. We still fight for it. What we've been through was so tragic. Now this. That's why I knew I had to step in. We need a plan, a plan to bring her home safe. Unfortunately, Megan, in the United States, Kimberly's disappearance is one of thousands of missing and murdered indigenous women that cannot seem to get justice. And that's what I want to focus on in this episode. I would like to focus on that, too. And I have so much to say about that as well. But I have a question. So that was her grandmother who made that statement? Yes. Do you know when that statement was made? So, Megan, just to remind everyone, she went missing on or around September 22nd, 2020. The last time anyone spoke to her was October 6, 2020. Her family spoke with Dateline in August of 2021. And to this day, as we record in July of 2023, there has been no known sightings or communication with Kimberly Iron. It's terrible. the issue, Megan, is that there seems to be some conflicting information in this case. There was a Facebook post on October 20th, 2020, from the account Lost and Missing in Indian Country. And this post says that Kimberly Iron 
was no longer missing as per Captain Bighorn. Well, what does that mean? The reason this seems to be problematic is there are credible sources that report her as still missing after that date. In fact, even more than a year after that date. There is one YouTube video that says Kimberly Iron has, in fact, been found safe. However, I question the legitimacy. I'm not aware of that YouTube channel, and I'm not sure if the source is legitimate. But, you know, do your own research. Of course, we hope that that is true and that she has, in fact, been found. This also highlights the issue that there's no central place to go to look up these cases. And I think the public has the right to know if a missing person has been found because there are resources still going into cases. Sure. So if she has been found safe, I think it's important that it is known. And if she has not found safe, even more so, it's important that people are still looking for her. Yeah. And when you see the headline on that YouTube video that says, Update, Kimberly Iron Found, when you watch the video, it doesn't actually say anything about her being found. So I'm not sure if it's just clickbait or if it's incorrect. Right. But it seems like more sources than not still have it listed as Kimberly Iron being missing. Yeah. And unfortunately, Megan, this case does not get the attention it deserves, along with thousands of other cases of missing and murdered Indigenous women. The remainder of today's episode will focus broadly on that topic and how our listeners can help bring more attention to Kimberly's case and others just like her. As many of our listeners probably know, the history of Native Americans in the U.S. has not been a peaceful one, to say the least. And this is due to violence and mistreatment that they have suffered for hundreds of years. Yep. And of course, while conditions for Native Americans are comparatively better today than that of their ancestors, Indigenous people, particularly women, need our help. Missing and murdered Indigenous women is an epidemic currently plaguing the United States, and there are simply just not enough resources being devoted to it. According to the National Criminal Justice Training Center, Native Americans are two and a half times more likely to experience violence than any other race and two times more likely to experience sexual assault and rape. Now, Megan, this is just what we know. These statistics severely underreport the reality of the situation. Oh, yeah. It depends on exactly what type of crime, but research shows that about 40% of serious violent victimizations aren't reported at all. Yeah, that is correct. What we know about crime is that about 40% is not reported, but that number is estimated to be low and that a number gets higher when it comes to domestic and sexual assaults. Yeah, so needless to say that the problem is much greater than we are even led to believe. Indigenous women have been going missing for decades and they have been overlooked due to many reasons. And law enforcement on Native American reservations, they do have some restrictions that we'll be highlighting in just a moment. So I just want to give you some more statistics to highlight just how bad it really is. Okay. In 2020, there were almost 5,300 cases of missing Native Americans and 578 of those cases were still open by the end of 2020. Most of them were females ranging from infancy to 20 years old. So this is affecting young women mostly. Gosh, infancy, huh? And a staggering 40% of sex trafficking victims are identified as Native women. And this is, again, likely to be an underestimation. So since there are not many records of women who live on these reservations, Native women can be the easiest victims for sex traffickers. 
oftentimes it's not even realized by law enforcement that these women are even missing. Right. So not only are we seeing increased victimization for violent crimes and sex trafficking, Mm -hmm. there's also a high level of opioid and substance abuse use, homelessness. So these women are in greater danger compared to other women. I talked about this in a previous episode, but from what you're seeing here, your research, are these threats from internal? Are these people they know? Are these external? Because a lot of the reservations are near work sites Mm -hmm. and they have, you know, kind of migrant workers coming through. Mm -hmm. So who's posing the bigger threat here? Is it both? It is both. I don't know the exact statistics on it, but anecdotally from doing research and just the cases I've looked at, it seems that the threat seems to come from within or someone outside who's accepted within. Because there's jurisdictional issues. Yes, I see. Right? So yeah. historically, tribal police could not arrest someone who was not part of the reservation. Right. Okay. So a lot of these jurisdictional issues, there's jurisdictional overlaps that makes things a little trickier. There's also a gap in just the data available about what's going on on these reservations. Right. And most Americans, including myself, do not understand how indigenous societies really work. But what this means is that when investigations do take place in these societies, people will go into them using their own cultural standards and biases. So, for example, when you do have investigators coming into the reservations to help with cases, Mm -hmm. there's often complications with the investigation due to maybe distrust by the individuals. They don't feel respected by law enforcement that's coming in. And we can understand that. Yeah. I think this issue is really complicated, but also the U.S. Sheriff's Office, they don't have any jurisdiction as well on reservations. The jurisdictional problem is Mm -hmm. substantial. Yes. I would say, Megan, that's probably the biggest issue. But the good thing is that there has been a ton of recent reforms in this area. Okay. So the issue lies in the fact that police and investigative teams on these reservations are severely underfunded and simply do not have the resources to investigate these cases the way they deserve to be investigated. Right. So luckily, the federal government has stepped in in a sense that there has been movement in the right direction. There are some federal laws that have been put in place to help address these issues. Okay. A lot of work has been done under the National Congress of American Indians. This was founded in 1944, and it's the oldest and the largest, most representative American Indian and Alaska Native organization. And they serve broad interests of tribal governments and communities and help out in these areas. Okay. Now, in 2003, they developed a task force on violence against women, and their focus was to enhance the safety of Native women. And then to follow in 2005, Savannah's Act was passed. And this clarified the unique relationship between U.S. and tribes, but most importantly, developed ways that the U.S. could better assist the tribes in the areas in which they needed support. So there has been some movement in the right direction with federal laws acknowledging resources need to be devoted more to these types of crimes. And most recently, in 2022, the Violence Against Women Act has been expanded to include a list of crimes that are covered and also expanded jurisdiction. So this is a topic that we do see a lot of policy movement on. So you mean the jurisdiction expanded to women who live on reservations? There's not as many jurisdictional barriers between, you know, the federal government and the tribal police. Yeah. Got it. So I'm not really sure what happened to Kimberly, but her father, his theory that she is a victim of sex trafficking. 
I think when we look at the statistics of missing and murdered indigenous women, we do see this high level of sex trafficking. Also, California has the highest number of sex trafficking victims compared to any other state in the United States. And we know that that was her last known whereabouts. And there are several reasons for this. It could be the proximity to international borders, Mm -hmm. the number of ports and airports that California has. Sure. Of course, there's also a significant immigration population. So forced labor accounts for some of the human trafficking, but nine out of 10 cases of human trafficking are actually sex trafficking in California. Okay. So the fact that she was traveling and it seems that there was burner phones, she wasn't able to give specific details about where she was. It definitely seems that she was at the very least taken against her will. The very fact that she was kept alive is an indicator as well, because, you know, most women who are abducted in a stranger situation will be probably assaulted and murdered within a short time. So the very fact that she was alive and making contact for weeks definitely indicates trafficking to me as well. That's a good point. Now, short of that, I don't really have any other theories because we simply just don't know enough about Kimberly to really try to get a better sense of where she could be. But we do hope that she is found safe. Yes, Amy, I would agree with that sentiment. Of course, we hope she's found. We hope that trafficking network would be exposed. We... Hope there are more protections for these women. There's so many hopes in this case, so many things that can be done, too. Just a lot that's possible. Yeah, I think the U.S. government simply needs to do more in helping Native reservations to have the resources that they need to protect their people and to help investigate when people go missing. Just as important is the need to bring attention to cases like Kimberly's so that people with information can come forward and other women can be saved. I just want to say not a reality show or anything, but there is a fantastic show called Alaska Daily. Have you heard of this? No, I haven't. Yeah, it's somewhat new in the last maybe year or so. It's with Hillary Swank, and she plays a reporter who relocates to Alaska to work on exposing cases of missing and murdered indigenous women. And while, again, it's fictional, it's based on so much reality, and there's so much information provided in that show just about why this is happening the lack of resources, the lack of assistance, the lack of cooperation, and the lack of care that goes into these cases. So I would just say I found it very informative and even helpful in helping me understand a little bit more about this issue. And I think it's important when TV shows explore issues like that, because people that aren't interested in those issues particularly, or maybe wouldn't normally be educated on them. They see someone like Hillary Swank on a show, they're going to watch it. And then they also get this education, which I think is great. And there are a lot of organizations that are dedicated to working towards helping women and solving cases like Kimberly's. Um, Before I get to those, though, I want to say that Kimberly is 5'2". She weighs approximately 126 pounds, has brown eyes and light brown hair, and has a small scar between her eyes. And anyone with information should call the Bighorn County Sheriff's Office at 406-665-9780. In addition, the Bureau of Indian Affairs tip line could also be contacted at 833-560-2065. Now, just to end on a little bit of a higher note, because these statistics are so depressing and cases like Kimberly are way too common, there have been some cases where There are missing women who end up being found and they don't make news as much, Mm. but there are a few cases. In fact, just recently in June of 2023, a woman who went missing in Montana, 
A 31-year-old woman who was missing for two years was recently found safe. Wow. Yes. And then there is actually another woman who was found in Colorado. Now, she was missing for a couple of days as compared to two years. That doesn't seem like a lot, but for her loved ones, still a long time. Oh, my gosh. And for her a long time. And we don't know what she endured. She was located safe and unharmed and, in fact, said that she left on her own accord. Okay. And sometimes we see cases like this where adult women decide that they want to leave on their own accord and they have every right to. It's just that when resources are spent looking for these women, it takes away from other cases. Right. So this woman did the right thing by coming forward. She saw a missing poster that had her face on it and she came forward to say, no, in fact, you can move on. I'm safe. And the police did investigate to make sure that she was, in fact, safe and not being held against her will. So there are these cases we hear about. We don't hear about them often enough, though. It's nice to see resources that go into investigating the conditions under which these women leave and the reasons why they're leaving. That is a good point. As I mentioned, there are organizations that are dedicated to this type of work. And one that I want to highlight here is the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women's Organization. Now, they've been working to prevent the targeting of Indigenous women and work with police to help find missing women. And you could get involved in their project and donate to the organization on their website, mmiwusa.org. And you could read more about these stories, about the amazing work they're doing, and about how you can help support their work and support the cause more generally. I mean, I know that organization quite well, so I know they're doing some significant work. And then the other organization you can check out for more information is called Not Our Native Daughters. That's www.notournativedaughters.org. And that is another good resource that you can check out. But regardless of what you do, at the very least, please read up on these cases, get the information, get educated on these missing and murdered indigenous women and spread the word because they need help. I'm glad we see the resources increasing. I want to see so much more. It's always good for people to know how they can get involved and how they can become more aware of this issue. I'm glad you covered this case today, and I think we should continue to cover more like it. So thank you. And if, in fact, Kimberly Iron has been found safely and you have that information, reach out to us and let us know, because that's very important also. And we'll provide a case update. Absolutely. Thank you, Amy. Thanks, Megan. Megan, before we head out today, though, we just have one question from a supporter. Okay. Okay, the question is, what missing person case is the most mind-boggling for you both, and what are your theories? She goes on to say, it is always so mind-boggling to me when somebody disappears without a trace. There's so many cases for me. I know, unfortunately. But I can tell you, well, for me, one of the ones that I covered is the most mind-boggling, and that was Prisma Reyes. I'm not sure if you remember Prisma, but she disappeared in her boyfriend's apartment complex. Mm Mm-hmm. And it is so unknown what happened to this woman. And I still, it, it bothers me. It boggles me. It blows my mind. Is that the case where she was seen eating lunch with someone and then she went to make a phone call? Yeah, that case is mind-boggling. Yes, that was the same case. She was intoxicated. She got in a road rage incident. But then she just, mm-hmm. you see her on camera going into the boyfriend's apartment building. He's nowhere to be found. You don't know who she came out with if she got out. That one I don't know why. I'm I'm endlessly curious mm-hmm. about that one. For me, one that comes to mind, Maura Murray. Oh, Our friends yeah. over at Crawl Space did a lot of work on her case, and she seemingly vanished into thin air. 
Mora disappeared on the side of the road, right? It was like in the snow. She had told a lie to about where she was going to school or not going to school, if I recall. Like there was something yes. involved in that story that you have no idea. It wasn't of her own volition, but what was going on? Some people believe that she did leave on her own accord. But when you look at the facts of the case, it doesn't add up. And many people believe that she was met with foul play. And her family has been instrumental in bringing her case to the forefront and just trying to get answers. Yeah, there are certain ones that really do just baffle us. Like there's missing person cases, I think for me that I would love to see them found, but I think I have a good idea of what happened. But the ones that vanished into thin air, they do kind of keep you up sometimes at night. So, and they stay with you. Do you know the case of Brian Schaefer? The name sounds familiar, but tell me, please. So Brian Schaefer, since we focus on women, mm -hmm. otherwise I would have covered Brian's case, but this was a big mystery. He was a medical student at Ohio State University. And back in 2006, he went out with some friends to celebrate, you know, just spring break, went out for drinks. So a security camera shows him near the entrance of a bar and it shows him talking to two women. I think it was around like 2 a.m. And then he apparently re-entered the bar and then he has never been seen or heard from since. And there's no video or eyewitness accounts of him ever leaving the bar. Wow. So it's like he vanished into thin air. So he's been missing for, what, almost 20 years now. Oh but goodness. again, it's just, I think, the lack of answers, the lack of evidence that shows that he was taken or he left on his own accord. And, right. you know, these cases are just, you know, mind boggling. So in Maura Murray's case, unfortunately, Megan, I don't know what your theory is, but I tend to think she was met with foul play. I hope that's not the case, but it seems like there's more evidence to suggest that. And then in Brian Schaefer's case, I'm really kind of left dumbfounded on that one. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Do you think maybe he got injured in the bar or he was met with foul play and someone disposed of his body? But it yeah. just seems like there were so many people around. How did no one see anything? Well, that's always the perplexing thing. But you're talking about 20 years ago also. So pre like real surveillance society. So yeah, I do absolutely think something happened in the bar and then someone unfortunately, disposed of his body without being detected. And I know this this supporter did not say for several, but I can't believe we're missing one case that we've covered on our show that is just mind-boggling. Do you remember Amy Lynn Bradley? Yes, she went missing on the cruise ship. I believe with her and Prisma, they were, I mean, they were both abducted and either sexually assaulted and murdered or trafficked. That would be my theories for both of them. Yes, I believe, unfortunately, that Amy Lynn Bradley probably was trafficked. You know, whether or not she's deceased, I don't know. Right. But I do believe she was taken for that purpose. But right. um, obviously, we could go on forever. I was going to say, this question is really just one that we could go through a list of. But thank you for asking. We appreciate yeah. it. Thank you for the question. And as always, thank you all so much for listening today. And we will catch you next time on Women in Crime. Women in Crime is hosted by Megan Sachs and Amy Schlossberg. Our producer and editor is James Varga. Music composition is by Dessert Media. If you enjoy the show, please remember to subscribe and leave a review. You can also support the show through Patreon, where you can get access to additional ad-free content such as virtual happy hours and an extra full-length episode each month. For more information, visit patreon.com slash womenincrime. Sources for today's episode include Oxygen, ABC News, National Crime Justice Training Center.
missingandmurderedindigenouswomenusa.org, the National Indigenous Women Resource Center, and the U.S. Census Bureau. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.